everyone, it's me again, your friendly neighborhood censorship kid. We assume that you saw that little red letter E next to this episode, but I'm here to tell you it's actually there for a good reason with this episode. Though this may not be as bad as an old Andrew Dice Clay stand-up routine, there is some bad language. So just be smart about how you listen to this episode and aware of who is around you. For instance, even though my daddy is the podcast host, he already told me it's going to be seven years until I can listen to this episode. Seven years? I'll be 18 by then. So he's saying this is worse than NC-17? Anyway, daddy pays me for these per word, and I'm probably already over budget. So enjoy the episode. Laskavo Prosimo which is welcome in Ukrainian. That has nothing to do with this episode with Amar, but it does have a little bit of something to do. I don't know. Why is Ukraine fresh in my mind right now? Who knows? Nevertheless, welcome to the Daddy Unscripted podcast. My name is Tim Wheaton. I am the host and the creator of the podcast. I'm very happy to have you all here to take in the second half of my conversation with Amar Sastri. Again, as I said at the end of the last episode, I really thought this was all going to work into one. But as I was going through and editing it, I was like, how am I going to leave so much on the cutting room floor just to fit it in a one to one and a half hour episode? And it seems like maybe some people are kind of going towards that area of liking some episodes that are closer to an hour in time. So back in the day, I can actually say that my podcast has been on that long. But back in the day, I used to have almost every guest represented two episodes. And I don't think they all will do that still. But some of them will. And here we are another two parter. Before I get too far, I will do some of the business that needs to be done due to my involvement with the Osiris Podcast Network, Osiris Media. I originally had a different Osiris podcast I was going to pimp out right here like I normally do. But how many of you caught the recent huge Osiris offerings either after midnight or Jam Just Happened, which was the first of many episodes to come, featuring a group of musicians jamming on stage, and not only the jams that they are creating, but they are sitting down and talking about what they did afterwards. Some awesome, like, mind-blowing things. Well, in the first week of January, another huge thing is coming that I personally have been so excited and super anticipatory I don't even know if that's a word, but I've been anticipating it like crazy. So the podcast is called Freak Flag Flying. And yep, there's some alliteration for you. And it features David Crosby, the David Crosby, sitting down and talking with one of his old friends, author Steve Silberman, who I have, I don't even know how I bumped into, or, you know, you kind of do that thing where you find somebody and you start following them. That happened probably, I don't know, maybe two years ago with me and with him on Twitter. And I, I've always been a very big fan of Steve's. He's a fantastic author just has some amazing thoughts as well that he puts out there in social media that I love. And this is their conversation over hours and hours broken down into multiple parts for a podcast. So for any of you 
having a little question mark emoji over your head with regards to David Crosby, first of all, what? Secondly, let me help you. He is one of the most enduring and colorful figures in rock music since the 60s. Multiple bands. Have you ever heard of Crosby, Stills, Nash or Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young? CSN, CSNY, The Birds. Uh, like uh, the list goes on and on, but these new interviews cover everything from his earliest musical relationships with legendary peers like Bob Dylan, Jerry Garcia, Jefferson Airplane, Steely Dan, also covering his years with Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. The limited series from Osiris launches on Monday, January 6th. But you can listen to the trailer. So you can listen to the trailer online after you hear it here, but I'm going to put it for you right in my podcast. Should I do that now or should I put it at the end? I guess I'll put it right here. So here is the official trailer for Freak Flag Flying. Osiris. Osiris Media is proud to present Freak Flag Flying, a limited series podcast. Rock legend David Crosby recently sat down with his friend, award-winning science author Steve Silberman, for two days of intimate conversation, introspection, and discussion of some of David's beautiful songs, which are featured in the podcast. The sessions offer unique reflections on Crosby's famed songwriting career and his creative collaborations with the Birds. There were many times for the Birds, man, many times. When I remember the night that we worked out uh, Chimes of Freedom. Boy, was I happy. You know, it's the first time that I actually been able to contribute on the guitar. That's looping kind of lines, you know, that are on there. There were many. There was a good chemistry in the early days, and uh, we hadn't irritated each other yet. We still believed in each other, and it was pretty great. Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young. There was nobody in CSNY that I wanted to be a leader over me. It was fully competition. Fully, all the time. And it really got to be a, an uphill battle in CSN. It was turn on the smoke machine and play your hits and take the paycheck. The Grateful Dead. The thing about Jerry, he wanted the music to come out. He knew it was hiding all around him all the time. Wanted to coax it out of the wall. Well, the music, come play. He was a magical cat that way. And more recently, with musicians like his son James Raymond. The first and most important is my son James. Encountering him was just like, holy yikes. Uh, he's a guy who, when I met him, he'd already been a musician for 20 years. Before he found out that I was his dad, he had already been a musician for 20 years. And he's definitely a better musician than I am. And Michael League of Snarky Puppy. Going to New Orleans and meeting Mike League was like growing wings halfway down the cliff. I loved him. I loved all of them, and I loved them. They were just my kind of people. They really didn't give a shit about showbiz. It was contributive music. That was the biggest difference. I don't want to pull the curtain back too far on my yeah, I understand on no my problem. soul, but, right. but if you are looking for a glimpse, yeah, there's one. Premiering January sixth, Freak Flag Flying can be found wherever you get your podcasts. To subscribe, go to osirispod.com slash freak flag. Okay, so make sure you guys 
go on to Spotify or Apple Podcasts, wherever you listen to your podcast, type in Freak Flag Flying and go and subscribe to that so that it, you don't miss it. It hits your phone when it is released on January 6th and all of the subsequent episodes after that as well. Again, I'm super jazzed that this is a part of not only the Osiris Media Network, but also that it is out there at all. Like These are going to be so cool to listen to. So with all of that said, check out OsirisPod.com to find out what other podcasts are out there. There's so many new things coming out from Osiris at the end of 2019 and the beginning of 2020. I can't wait for all of these things to come just so I can hear them, but also for you guys to be able to hear them as well. So make sure you keep an eye out for those. And I will just say, if you're coming to this episode and you haven't listened to the first half with Amar, make sure you go back and check out that episode first, because this one hits the ground running where we left off. I think it just makes sense for you to go back. So I will wait. We'll all pa- we'll all wait. So go back to that first episode. We'll all be here. Everybody can wait, right? You guys will all wait. So we'll wait for you. Go back to that first episode and come back and you'll pick up right where we all are sitting and waiting for you to listen to the second episode. And in case it has actually been a week since you listened to this episode with Amar, I will remind you, we were just kind of talking about his dad's upbringing in rural India. And we just kind of jump right into where we left off which is, I believe, me asking Amar about his childhood in India and all of that and him moving here eventually to America. And before I go into the episode, I have something special here for you. I normally would just be playing some Umphreys McGee music leading into the conversation, but I asked Amar for a special little treat for all of you, which was a little bit for me too. I'm not going to lie, but I'm so excited to play some of this. Ooh, I kind of always wanted to be a radio DJ. So here, by special request for you late night lovers, is Amar playing When the Circus Comes to Town acoustically. And right after this, it will just go straight into the episode. And again, we just hit the ground running because it's the second of two parts. So before that, let your ears be delighted by Amar playing When the Circus Comes to Town on acoustic guitar.
So you are there in Bangalore, which is amazing. And then you moved when you were, did you say you were like eight years old when you guys moved? I was, I want to say five or six. Oh, okay. So pretty young. And how was that transition? I remember the flight when we left India and went to New York, because I remember that I don't remember, maybe I was like crying or something, but I remember the stewardess came over and she gave me a little gift wrap box and inside was a little block set with Mickey Mouse blocks. And oh. I remember like opening it up being like, wow, Americans are so nice. They give you free toys. Mm-hmm. I'm like this is amazing. No one in India would ever do that. Um, that was like one of my first memories. And I remember um, when we, when we got to JFK, it was around Christmas time. And I remember this is one, one thing I'll never forget. Like my, my father literally had like, I think like $50 us in his pocket. And I remember getting to JFK and there was like a Santa in JFK in like when you leave one of the terminals, there was like a big, you know, big, I don't know if they have those anymore, but there was like a big display and he like used like $20 or whatever, like from his $50 stash. So so I could get a picture with Santa. Wow. Um, So like, that's like one of the first things I don't remember that exact moment, but I remember, (laughs) I remember kind of that, that whole, that whole thing happening. Tell me that picture still exists. Um, I hope it does. I'm I'm like ninety percent sure. Next time I'm my I'm my parents, I'll see if I can dig it oh, up. They have, gosh. They've, they've got a lot of pictures, but that was like a very symbolic. You know, it kind of shows how my dad's always been a, a shirt off his back kind of kind of mm-hmm. guy. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I remember just how different America felt because India still felt it's it's changed so much in the last you know twenty twenty thirty years. Um, at the rate of, of, you know, technology and development that it, it felt like I, I stepped like a hundred years into the future, even as a kid, just seeing just all the lights and in New York city and stuff. And it was just so like almost overwhelming. Um, Mm -hmm. but it was, uh, the, the funny thing is, you know how like in, in Seinfeld, how anytime like one of the characters are like walking the streets and they like ask a stranger for anything, they're like, you know, get away from, you know what I mean? Like that whole thing. Yeah. 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 You know, it's like, that's almost how it's like in India. You know what I mean? It's like people are very, you know, um, very uh, skeptical about you. But mm-hmm. in, in America, everyone everyone seemed so friendly. And I remember that. I remember like, I remember seeing like my dad ask for directions and like I'd never seen him ask for directions before. And like the person was like, oh, sure, you take three. And I was like, wow. You know, it's like, <laughs> like Indians are such dickheads. Like what? And I, now I realize that's not true. It's just a very cultural thing. And um, there's, there's many things you can ask Indians and they'll, they'll, they'll be very nice to you. But, um, it, it, it's the culture just immediately surprised me. Even, it, even being that young, I remember very distinctly how, how different Americans and Indians, uh, kind of felt from each other. But yeah, it was, uh, yeah, growing up in, we, we lived in, in Westchester County, which is the first County right North of New York city. And mm. we moved to like, I want to say what, four or five different towns before I left for college. Um, all over, all over Westchester. Now, what? Now that whole county is very. Most of it is is very, very ritzy. Uh, mm-hmm. My parents are kicking themselves for if they had. I know if they had kept the house that they bought many years ago, they would have been. Uh, very, yeah, they would have been set, but they they did they they did not. Uh, but back in in the day, a lot of parts of Westchester were not 
as you know, gentrified as they are now. Mm-hmm. Um, and I lived, I remember one of the first places I lived in Westchester was a town called Ossining. And Ossining is where Sing Sing Prison is. For anyone oh, gosh. Who watches, uh, watches Law and Order. <laughs> but I mean, not that it was a, you know, a bad place. It just happens to, right. be, it just happens to be there. Um, yeah, and Ossining now is, is, is cleaned up a lot. But back then it was, um, the public school was like super... I don't want to say dangerous, but it was kind of a rough place in the, in the nineties. Um, and I think, mm. I think it's gotten a lot better now. Um, so I remember my, I went to, there was a Catholic school down the street. And the reason I went to the Catholic school being a Hindu is that it's for that reason, <laughs> right? Is because that the, they were like, I remember, uh, we had some family in, in New York and they were like, don't go to, you know, don't go to pu- this public school. Um, go to this private school. that's right down your street. I, I do have some memories of, of that, of that, uh, private school. I believe it was called St. Anne's. I, I can't quite remember, but um, I remember that my friend's mom was one of like the teacher's aides or something. And she would always let me sleep in church because like we had to go to church and she would always let me sleep through it and no one else got to sleep. And I, I, I just remember that being so funny because she was Indian and Hindu herself. She's like, oh, he's fine. He's oh, gonna, really? He's awesome. not going to learn anything. This, is, this yeah. isn't for him. It's, it's fine. <laughs> like, How come he gets to sleep through the... Um, I remember that, but I don't remember much else from that. But um, I remember just how scrappy those early days were for a long time. Like my folks and I living in a basically almost a studio apartment with three of us. Mm. And I'd go to my friend's house and be like, be like, oh, wow, your house is big. And they're like, dummy, this is my room. I was like, this whole room is yours. You know what I mean? I was like, <laughs> like, I thought, like, I thought like everyone lived like we did. And then I, I'd like go to my friend's house and, and be like, oh, this is a cool, you've got a Super Nintendo and a Nintendo and a Genesis. Like, like how, like, how does this, like, are you a millionaire? Like, it was just, <laughs> yeah. it was so, um, it was so different. Um, and, and I, I just remember that being, uh, and it's not that I didn't, you know, I didn't feel bad about it or anything, but I remember right. just, just feeling so, um, you know, my parents gave me a lot of context. They're like, hey, listen, you know, we're starting a new life in a new country. You may not have as much as, as your, you know, as your friends do right now, but, you know, don't worry, we'll, we'll, we'll get there. Um, yeah. There was always kind of that, you know, my parents were always very straight with me that, you know, and they always made sure that I was grateful. You know what I mean? It's not mm-hmm. like we, you know, the lights were turning off or we didn't have food, which is, you know, a real reality for a lot of people. So it's by no means were we like poor and poverty, but it was just, you know, as a kid, those little things that like seeing that your friend's closet is bigger than your actual house. It's, it's like a, <laughs> it's just a weird, you know, it's a weird experience. Totally. But that was kind of felt like growing up in that time. Um, and you know, and as I got older, it, it, you know, those, those differences really didn't seem to matter at all. Especially I went to a, a high school that was middle, middle school too. That was very, that was a giant melting pot. Like we had, hmm. we had kids whose parents were NFL team owners. We had kids whose, uh, you know, who were, who were on government assistance, uh, mm-hmm. and, and that were living in, in, you know, real poverty. And it was such a, like a, I, I can't even describe how wide of a variety of number of, of kinds of people that went to, you know, the, the, that school system. And that was so important for me, just kind of seeing how many different viewpoints and there are in life. You know, I know a lot of people that went to, you know, their high school experience was not like mine at all. Like they didn't have uh, people of different races and, you know, and, and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's, yeah. uh, and I felt really lucky to, to kind of have that experience of, 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 you know, it's like I had friends that were white that were very wealthy, friends that were white that were absolutely, you know what I mean? It's like I had friends mm-hmm. that were black that were wealthy, friends, you know, and it was just really yeah. like I saw the entire, I feel like I saw a huge spectrum of kind of life before I hit the real world. And that was really 
uh, helpful because I know a lot of people that, that have told me that, you know, it's like, oh, there were no, you know, I, I literally went to a high school that had 200 people and everyone was white and everyone was middle class. Right. And then, you know, I, I kind of grew and they were saying that, you know, they grew up with a lot of preconceived notions and it took them, took, you know, took them a long time to break down those notions and now they're better people. And it's like, I never, um, you know, I, I feel like I never had to go through that because of how diverse a lot of the places I grew up were, were in. Um, but that was, I'm uh, just very grateful for to kind of have grown up in a, in a cauldron of 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 different races and 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 viewpoints. It's almost like a cartoon caricature, you know what I mean? Like it's, mm-hmm. it's like it almost doesn't even make sense that it, that it's real about how with how diverse it is. It's like you'd see these like people. I, I see this all the time on social media, like where some company will have an ad. And it's like, oh, they've got you know like. The Korean kid and the black kid, right. and like the Indian. Yeah. And I was like, "That's like, I was like that. That was my first high school band, man. That's like, that's exactly what it looked like." You know? <laughs> yeah. Like, and I, it, it's like such a real, it's a real thing to me. Um, and I, I, and I really appreciate that. Um, and especially, com- you know, coming from India, where it was very homogenous in terms right. of the way uh, people looked and dressed and acted, it was very much. I think it probably a tie over from the whole. British colonialism fall in line kind of thing. I think that, mm-hmm. that never really has, I don't even think it's really left to this day, but, um, but it was cool that, you know, it's like, uh, I used to skateboard a lot when I was a kid and it was such a, uh, it was such an equalizer because mm-hmm. I'd be skateboarding with kids who, you know, some who were running away from really troubled lives, some who were, who'd get picked up in their, you know, in their grandfather's Rolls Royce and something. Yeah. And nobody cared. You know, nobody cared that you were rich. Nobody cared that you were poor. You know, but if you say you could do a kickflip and you couldn't, then they're gonna chew your ass up. <laughs> right, you know what I mean? Right. It's like that's yeah. what I'm not, you know, so I'm like and I really um, you know, it's it's uh it, I felt really very grateful for having that kind those kind of experiences where um, you know, it's like put up or shut up when it comes to doing, you know, maybe something that you're involved in, in a group activity. But when it comes to, you know, who you are as a person, your character matters, uh, your skin color, gender, sex, none, you know, none of that, none of that really matters unless, um, uh, you know, unless you're using it to try to try to get out of something, you know, I remember we were, we were skateboarding and, and we were, I think we were trying to move ramps around or something. And I was like, I was like, hey, I'm not strong enough to do this because I'm a pretty short guy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> They're like, get your ass. You know what I mean? They're like, it's not an excuse, you know? And it's like, we had one girl that was skateboarding with us. And, and at, at least in the 90s, that was like, it was pretty groundbreaking. A lot of girls right. thought that it was like a dude's only sport. And she was like, yeah, I'm doing this. And 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 I was like, <laughs> pull your weight. Yeah. And she was like, and I was like, that's not fair because you could kick my ass. <laughs> well, you know what? You're, you know, you're right. <laughs> but, um, you know, it's like, and, and that, that was really so looking back it was such a transformative experience of of uh, you know tr- looking at people um and and you know, just tr- making sure that we're all on the same page and that hey we're on this together it's okay whatever your history whatever your your past whatever you're going to do we're in this moment now and you know let's make it happen yeah so what led you what we'll just kind of leapfrog into music what kind of brought you into that whole world that was MTV when I remember when I saw MTV and I would see um, just all of these people looking like they were having the most fun I've ever seen anyone have. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that was probably that that kind of started, started it. I remember in the, in the early nineties, a lot of bands like, like offspring Nirvana, um, you know, the grunge period is really, really kind of in full force. Um, And I remember that was so, 
that was so cool because all of these people looked like normal people. You know what I mean? It's like the guy, like I skateboarded with a guy who looked exactly like Kurt Cobain. It wasn't like, Mm -hmm. you know, it wasn't like this Axl Rose slash kind of like big grandiose rock star kind of thing, which was, which was also very much a thing at the time. It was, it, when I saw MTV, I didn't see rock stars or celebrities. I saw like kids making music. Well, they seemed, they didn't seem like kids, but they seemed, they seemed, you know, um, like normal people making music. Yeah. And they were just having so much fun. They looked so free. That was another thing. It looks like it looked like they were so. And I remember like buying. I remember like buying CDs and seeing like the parental advisory and listening. I was like, how did their parents let them curse on this record? <laughs> how did they do that? You know what I mean? I was like, yeah. No, do their parents know? You know what I mean? It's like <laughs> like coming so innocent. Um, and I remember the first CD I ever bought. I'm so proud of this. It was Primus's Tales from the Punch Bowl. Oh wow! Right? And I like I think like that was and it was because. Uh, I saw the vi- uh, the video for uh, Winona's Big Brown Beaver, hmm. and it was and, and I'm gu- I'm guessing a lot of people haven't seen that video, but it was like this crazy video where all well Primus the trio, each of them are in these like crazy like cowboy kind of costume suits, and it's this like psychedelic mind trip of a video. And I remember liking it. I was like, this is weird because it's like kind of because when that song is kind of like a country song. It's yeah. almost like a parody of a country song, but not. And it was just like this cool new thing and like the bass was was ripping and it was the coolest groove. And I remember going to the CD at the CD store. I think it was like Sam Goody or whatever back in the day. Awesome. But I, right? <laughs> Throwback. I remember buying that CD and I remember loving it, but it was like the weirdest thing I'd ever heard because it was, mm-hmm. even at that time, it was pretty out of the norm for oh, like totally. the MTV thing. It was still very much an underground thing. Yeah. Um, but I remember that was that was a big that had a big impact on me. Um and my dad also had and I remember we didn't I remember the day we got a CD player it was like a huge deal. It was like the you know what I mean? It's like I remember, I remember the first time I even saw a CD player. I was at my friend, I remember it was uh, my friend Tim's house. Um it was him and his brother, Tim and Chris, and they were both twins. I remember that they both had C- they, each of them had CD players in their room, and I was like, "You guys, like, is Bill Gates your dad? Like, what the?" Fuck? Um, and I remember that, like, I'd never like seen like cause I had had cassette tapes and yeah. with a CD. Like, I was like, uh, I remember listening to Green Day, and I was like, "Oh, let's listen to this song." Like, when it eventually comes on, because that's how CDs work, right? And they're like, mm-hmm. "No, you press a button, you go right to the song." Right. And, like my mind was just blown. You know what I mean? So, <laughs> it's just funny looking back. I'm, I'm you know, I, I just never take technology for granted. Like every time I pull out my iPhone, I'm like, "This is amazing." Like that, that feeling never goes away. Yeah. Um, but you know, it's it's uh, it was such a crazy time with how fast technology was moving. It's how it at least it felt at that time. Um, but yeah, I remember my dad had a bunch of CDs. He had a Simon and Garfunkel best of, and nice. I remember he never sat me down and was like, listen to this. This is good. This right. is classic shit. You know, like he never said that he kind of let me discover it on his own. But I remember he, I remember he pointed something out to me. He pointed to a picture, like on the back, it had a picture of both of them. And he was like this guy. And he pointed to Garfunkel. He's like, he's the voice. And he pointed to Paul Simon. He goes, he's a songwriting genius. And like even at that age, I was like, Dad, you're probably simplifying it. And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. that's pretty, pretty spot on. You know what I mean? It's like obviously Paul Simon can sing and art can write, but like that was I remember like he even at that time he didn't have like a like a you know, any kind of big encyc- encyclopedic view of music, but he, you know, knew what was happening at the heart of it. Yeah. And I remember like digging through his CDs and I remember listening to that one. And I still, you know, have a very deep love for all of those songs, especially since a lot of that stuff wasn't, you know, really hip for a kid to listen to in the 90s um but i remember really liking it 
And he also had a Louis Armstrong best of CD, which was mm. the best thing I had ever heard. I was big mm-hmm. into the Chili Peppers. And uh, I remember Flea in his, he had, he had this video called Starlicks. And it was basically like a bass instructional video. And it wasn't really an ex- instructional video in terms of like, put your finger here. It was just like him talking about his views on music. Um, and uh, Rivers Phoenix was the, uh, was the mm. um, he was the interviewer. Um, huh. That, that, that's his name, right? Is that did I did I say that Rivers Phoenix? Is that is yeah? He uh, or is it Phoenix Rivers? Oh man, no, it's Rivers Phoenix Rivers, because River, it was right. Joaquin's Joaquin, brother, right? Okay, yeah, right. yeah, yeah. And I'm not sure if it was River or Rivers because I might be mixing it up with Rivers Cuomo. From Rivers music, Cuomo. Right? Oh, it, you're right. It was singular. River, River Phoenix. River. Phoenix. Yeah. Yes, that sounds right. Okay, I'm glad we got to the bottom of this, Tim. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So I remember the video was was him and River talking to each other. Um, and I also, you know, side note when, when River Phoenix, and I, I don't remember how he passed away, but I know that Flea was in the ambulance with him on the way to the hospital. Like they were such close friends. Oh, I didn't even know that. Um, and the, and the video was so special because it was like basically two best friends talking about music and mm. it was like the coolest thing I'd ever heard. And I remember at one point Flea said, like he went on this tirade about Louis Armstrong, about how he's the greatest musician that ever lived, blah, blah, blah. And I, I idolized, I idolized Flea and I was like, oh, if he's saying this, I got to check him out. Turns out my dad had a CD. And I remember the first, you know, like just listening to that, like I could hear it instantly. I was like, oh, this is what he's talking about. Um, and I was like, well, if this is jazz, I would probably like other jazz. And mm-hmm. the funny thing is it sounded in a way, I don't want to say dated, but it sounded like it was of a certain time. Yeah. But it sounded very, in a, in a way, relevant. You know what I mean? It sounded like it, it sounded just as good now than it probably did back in the, in the you know, 40s, 50s, and 60s. Mm-hmm. Um, there's this kind of weird timeless aspect to it. Um, and it was weird. I also was listening to a lot of music that was very aggressive, you know, like Tool, Rage Against the Machine. Mm-hmm. And this stuff was really, it was the opposite. It was just full of joy and hope right. and heartbreak. And it was so, um, it just very deeply touching. Um, but I remember that had a huge impact on me. So like all that kind of stuff, MTV, you know, dad's CD collection, that kind of got me interested in in music and, and playing and, and and wanting to 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 do that whole thing. And I, you know, convinced my parents to to buy me a bass guitar. I wanted to play guitar, but my friend Andy at the time, he played drums and he had another friend who played guitar and they wanted a bass player for their band. So he's like, don't mm. play guitar, you should play bass. And I was like, oh, all right, okay. He's like, he's like, and he sold me because he was like, everyone plays guitar. Do you know anyone that plays bass? I was like, you know what? That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> so he, 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 you know, he went out and I learned how to play bass and that was a lot of fun. And I, I did that for years. Um, and then I wanted to play guitar because i was like i got in my head that was like chicks don't dig bass players chicks dig mm-hmm. they guitar players i don't know why i was like <laughs> what 13 like I, I don't know what the, you know um but I, I think what i really wanted to do was was just you know uh learn other instruments um and that was just an ex- when people asked me it was just an easy excuse like, yeah bro i want chicks um which i mean which is definitely true at 13 but right uh, right it's not not that it wasn't but um there's definitely that deeper you know feeling that i wanted to get you know more into music and um and there was this there's this scene and i I think about this all the time uh there's a scene in in the in the fish documentary bittersweet motel where it's um uh they're interviewing trey backstage the great went you know there's sixty thousand people here and he and he goes on this this rant about how rock and roll at a certain level is a bunch of bullshit, but music's not. It's the most, it's the truest thing to him. And he said this thing that is like the truest thing I've ever heard. heard. He said that all of the, like the bigness of, you know, the festivals and the arena, arena playing, he said, 
it reminds me, he was saying this, he was saying it reminds him of when he was in a garage band in his, you know, as a teenager and his friend's mom was flicking the lights up and down saying, turn it down. <sighs> and like those high school garage band days are some of the fondest moments of my entire life. Mm-hmm. And even like when I'm, you know, I've played some, you know, these days I'm mostly just like a bar band guy, you know, nothing special, but I've played some, you know, incredible, incredible places with some amazing musicians. And it's just like that, you know, it's like, Everything melts away and you're with four or five or six of your great friends making music just for the fun of it. And it's, you know, and and I think about that all the time that that is really what it's about. You know, it's about community, bringing people together and the fun, the joy, the exploration. Um, And and that, you know, those those days of, you know, just banging away and, and, and just not giving a hot shit what anybody thought was, you know, and feeling so free um, is such a powerful thing. To be able to do, uh, even though I don't think we were by any means very good, but you know, it didn't matter, right? It, it really, right. it does not matter. And yeah. it's probably better that we weren't good because if we were good, we'd probably taken ourselves too seriously, mm-hmm. and gotten our heads up our asses, but you know, but it, it didn't matter because we were, you know, we were, you know, just playing for fun and it was such it was like the greatest bonding experience you know writing songs and we'd you know we'd write silly songs to make each other laugh and i remember remember like sitting on my bed and being like oh we'll put this line here and it's like oh then we'll put this line here like all these little moments that were just so incredible and even you know today when i'm you know writing music or working with other people it's just like that like it's it's no different so Mm -hmm. i i think about that a lot that's cool and i I sang in a band years ago back in, it was in that same time, kind of in the early nineties. Um, and most of us loved Pearl jam and we even covered, I think we covered, um, rear view mirror and maybe something else. And we, you know, it was just fun. Like practices sometimes were way more fun than performances because we were just like, kind of create i mean even though it was a lot of it was schlock and crap and whatever like it was that creation process just like you were talking about of like um this works better here and let's try six verses or or whatever it was you know let's bring this up a measure and like that whole creation process and you kind of forget it i mean you don't really think about that really much with the big bands that we love about, you know, and, and looking at fish now, especially like how much they are clearly enjoying it and, and how it seems that they have started to really kind of maybe recognize that themselves because of how much creation they've been doing over the past. I mean, even each of them individually as well with their own side things, but how much they've done together in the past like five years even is astounding. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's uh they're they're superhuman to me in terms of you know the way they can do all that. And anytime I get to see you know back behind the stage, behind the scenes footage, and I think we all feel like this as fans, like we revel in how goofy and ridiculous they are mm-hmm. and how they will just say ridiculous shit just to make each other laugh. Um, and tell each other stories and make up gags. And I think that's, uh, you know, they're almost like the anti-hero in that sense that they don't, right. they do not care about looking cool 
at all, which is the coolest thing you could do to be cool, right? Is not, yeah. not care, which, you know, like it's kind of, it's kind of, it's kind of this recursive thing. Um, and I think that's, that's such a big point of inspiration that those are, at least to me, those are four guys that got to, you know, and obviously crew, you know, and the, the whole organization, but they got to where they are on the power of being themselves unabashedly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's like the most inspiring shit I've, you know, I've ever seen. Um, whereas a lot of people, you know, to, to make it, you know, in, in music and to, to pay the bills, they have to do stuff a certain way. They have to look a certain way. They have to, you know, dress a certain way, act a certain way, play a certain way. And that's a, you know, an unfortunate reality of the music industry. It's just the way, just the way it is. You know, people want what they want, but they were able to, to buck that trend. You know, one of the few bands and just like the grunge guys, right? The grunge guys did it too. And they don't, um, they don't, they never cared. Um, but you know, it's like if if one of the grunge guys today got up got up on stage in a suit, they might get tomatoes thrown at them. You know, so it's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So maybe you know, sometimes being yourself, even when you're a star, is, is hard. Yeah, and you like going back to what we were talking about about um, human nature and fear. Like, think about all of the creation and all of the uh, just blind leaps that they have had to take and that i think you know you can talk about it with them and with some of those other bands but with musicians and on stage you know jazz is that all the time like you are uh it's not only the improvisation that's happening but it is the constant leap within that improvisation that you are hoping is going to land right and if it doesn't you friggin pivot on it or you like i used to hear jerry do this all the time like he would play some chord or some note and you would be like nope that's not right you are way off key but then he would play it like three more times and you're like okay yeah you got it right like you're you're just changing it okay so yeah that's that's spot on man i think that's that's uh that's something that we all can kind of inherently feel and it's you know when it when it's out and not working we know and then it magically works and we're like oh there it is yeah so in the anatomy of a jam stuff that you took on um and i know you um like really break things down in a way that is to me completely mind-blowing like i know that so many other people are and you've um like really in the right way and deservedly so like earned the respect of a lot of highly respectable people as well with that like talk a little bit about um making the decision to do that and the continual process and maybe even to the selection of what you're picking to do on your videos and everything yeah sure well well, first of all thank you that, that it's really nice of you to say i mean that whole the whole process kind of came about i started a youtube channel a few years ago and um, at the point I'm, so let me just say that I am first the biggest fish fan I know, and also the worst fish fan I know for a couple of reasons. <laughs> I'm, you know, I obviously am a big fish fan. I, I love seeing, you know, I go see them any chance I get. Um, but I don't listen to them recreationally much anymore. Like I'll never mm. be sitting around and just throw on a fish song. It almost never happens unless, mm. you know, like if they're, you know, if, if I'm doing couch tour, of course I'm there. Um, if you know this big crazy jam happens and I, you know, they didn't stream that night, of course I'll sit down and listen to it. But I will never just throw on a fish song 
or fish show um, and just rock out to it like I used to do, um, you know, years ago. Uh, there's so much music out there and I love listening yeah. to as much as I can. And I'm, again, I'm not saying that if you do your any lesser of a, you know, but that's just right. my, my personal preference is that I don't listen to them that much at home, but I do study them a lot. So I'll, mm-hmm. even though I don't listen to this, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll hear this trace and be like, oh, I want to figure out what he's doing and I'll, and I'll listen to it and I get my fix. So I hit this weird spot a few years ago where I was playing all of this music with great people. I, 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 um, I, I play a lot in upstate New York, a little less now since the baby, but there were times I was playing five, six nights a week, especially in the summer. Mm. And I was playing rock, jazz, funk, soul, blues, uh, country, blue. Like I was playing a ton of gigs, but there was this giant hole in my life when it came to all this music that I loved, you know, the whole jam world that, you know, I'd sit down, I'd study a solo or study a jam and I'd put it away. And I was like, well, why don't I just start sharing this stuff on YouTube? Seems like, seems like a safe place to do it. You know what I mean? It's, it was just like, here's this, here's my way of getting out you know, my love and appreciation for this music that I don't get to, you know, I don't get to play it live. I don't really listen to it, much, but it's such a big part of my life that I would like to pay respect to it in a way. Mm-hmm. So I started making uh, kind of guitar videos on YouTube um, and, you know, talking about, you know, a lot of my favorite guitar players in the scene, Trey, Jerry, Jimmy Herring, uh, some of the work that John Mayer has done with Dead and Company, I think is great. I've broken down yeah. some of his work. Um, and then I, I was, there was still something that was kind, I don't, I don't want to say, uh, it was almost like deeply unsatisfying where I'd be talking about this, but it, in the back of my head, I was always thinking, you know, what's the best video I can make about this? And then I started brainstorming about what's the best video I can make about fish. What, you know, what would that look like? And I started thinking about my experience with, with the band and how I, you know, like when I'm at a show, I'm in it, I'm in the zone, I'm feeling good. I'm not thinking about anything. I'm just living in the moment. But when I'm listening to them, you know, Especially growing up, you know, I spent, I think, probably eight years listening to nothing but fit. You know, you know it's like went through a pretty big fish phase um, yeah. of listening to, you know, everything they've ever released for a long time. But I was thinking that when I am listening to them, I there's so much going through my mind. I'm thinking about before they start a song, who starts the song? How do they start the song? When they start the song, do they dictate the tempo? Does this happen? Uh, how did they write the song? What inspired the song? Uh, I think about all of these different things. And when they get into a jam, it's kind of like that that analysis part that you're talking about, like, oh, they're starting in this key. And then, oh, someone's hinting at this and they move to this key and they go. And that's kind of all of the stuff that goes through my head when I listen to them. Um, and I was like, well, if the best video I could make would probably be just showing my perspective of what's happening, right? It's like when, when I listen to something, all this stuff is going on. Could I get that in a video? What would that look like? What would it you know, what would it sound like? What would it feel like? And that's kind of where the whole idea came from. It's just the mm. idea of what's the best thing I could make. And it also kind of came from a place of dissatis- dissatisfaction because I never, out of the millions of books, articles, and kind of stuff I've read and absorbed over, over fish, I never absorbed a piece of content that made me say, wow, that's exactly how I look at it. Right. It's never, it's never happened. And mm-hmm. it, that's not that weird of a thing because we all have such dif- different experiences that I'm right. sure, you know, many, you know, I'm sure many people feel that way. But, you know, for me being an obsessive diehard, it was just, it was like no one's ever spoken to me about the band in the way that I thought should be spoken. And I, I lost, I don't know, I can't speak English today. You know what I mean? But it's like this idea that there's, uh, they're playing at such a high, high level. Um, and 
what's surprising to me is that how many people, um, and people have come up to me and said this after they see my videos, they're like, I really, you know, I've been listening to this band for 20 years and I always thought they were just going up there and making shit up. And, and I was like, well, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of what they're doing, but they're kind of playing in the principles of these very common ideas in music, right? Keys and modes and scales, like all these really well-organized principles, they're just kind of bending them to their will, right? Someone hears this, that puts them in this direction. And and that's kind of where all that started in that sense. Because um, And I also wanted to bring music theory into it because I think music theory has completely ruined an entire generation of, of guitar players, specifically guitar players, because uh, guitar is a very hard instrument to kind of see the logic of the way things are are put out. And I think that music theory has just really done a number on a lot of people. And my whole view on music theory is that it's not necessarily a system of rules. It's just a name for a sound. Mm-hmm. You know, the D Dorian, it's that, that literally just means a name for a sound. It doesn't mean you got to play these notes. It just means that this constellation of pitches of sounds, when you group them together, it gets, it's this name, right? And I think that to me is much more freeing you know, rather than the idea of music having rules, something that you have to follow, uh, because music is the one place where we should feel free, right? We shouldn't have yeah. rules, you know? It's like, I, I understand that there are certain rules, but like the idea that you have to, when you're, especially in, in improvising, which is supposed to be, you know, spontaneous composition, um, right? It, it's, it, it always really turned me off that the idea that, you know, you should play this note over this chord and this note over, like that, it never really was that exciting to me. And the more I studied really great improvisers, I realized that they thought the same thing. You know, they were free to use any number of tools over a certain song or a chord, and it wasn't. Uh, they didn't think of things as such black and white in such black and white terms. So when I do all those videos and kind of showing the theory, it's it's to me, it's just you know, this is a name for a sound, and it's a sound that they recognize, which is how everyone latches onto it. If that mm-hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah, totally. And I th- I mean, again, like thinking about the fact that we get what we get from these artists or these bands or whatever and how much work that they are putting in. You know, you think about Louis Armstrong or any of those older jazz guys who also like you think about that time and that era, like they're working with such a different and cooler slate in a way because they're kind of the vanguards of what, uh, I know Louis may not be the vanguard, but you know they're dealing with stuff that hasn't yet been explored. So there's two different things to that. One being like, this could not go over well, and I'm doing something brand new. But also like your exploration chart is, or I'm probably saying this wrong, but is is so yet uncharted. So you're able like almost everything that you're doing is so new. So I think now it's kind of interesting to me in that way when I've thought about this about what improvisers are working with where that chart is a lot more mapped out and things have been done. I've always thought about this about um songwriting and and even lyric writing whereas you know we're now however many years, decades, centuries into music making. And so much has been laid out and done already that the amount of awe that I have for people that are 
still creating new things. And I know there's still a lot yet to be created, but new melodies, new sounds that they are piecing together is like so cool because of how much has already come before them, you know? Yeah. Well said. I think you, you nailed it. It's, it's, we're all standing on the shoulders of giants, you know, when it comes to that kind of stuff, it's, Mm -hmm. um, a lot of it's been done, but there's so much, just like you said, there's so much to be done, so much left to explore. And uh, that's another thing that, you know, I, I really want to always try to hit home on my videos about fish, that these are four guys that very, very deeply studied a lot of different kinds of music. You know, they they listen to a ton of different stuff. They pull influences from from what we might think are, you know, kind of out of left field places and, and until we hear them. And I have really, I, I've never liked the idea that they were just kind of four dudes that fell into this. You know what I mean? It's like they worked so hard on their craft. And I know as most fans know that this, you know, this is very obvious to a lot of fans, but um, from a lot, for a lot of people, mostly the, the detractors, I hear this a lot that, you know, it's just kind of, you know, like, oh, it's noise, you know, like that whole thing that's been said about them and mm-hmm. every negative article in the last three They years. broke your fractal. Right, right. Oh, and that, that's actually, I'm glad, you, I'm glad you said that. So for anyone who hasn't seen the incredibly wonderful video called Fish Shreds, um, it was, that was one of the earliest memes that, that I saw. This is before YouTube where we had to like upload videos on like mega upload or whatever it was at the time and like shit. Yeah. Like, right? And yeah. the videos were, were, basically people overdubbing professional you know professionally pro shot video music videos with bad playing so like when the when they when the camera zooms on the guitar it's like an attitude jangling when they zoom yeah. in the vocals right and it was called the shreds video and they had a ton of they had santana shreds they had clapton shreds and then finally <laughs> someone made a fish shreds uh which tim was just quoting and it's <laughs> One of the funniest videos I've ever seen. And I believe it's the Chalked Us Torture from It in 2003. I believe that's the actual jam they use. But it's just, oh. you know, it's just them dubbing over like funny phrases. And one of the phrases is, you ate my fractal. <laughs> and the reason why I'm saying, I'm glad you brought that up, is you know, in the whole inspiration for the Anatomy of a Jam series, one, I don't remember whether it's the title of that video, but that Fish, that fish Shreds video, at least when it's, when it's circulated on social media, the title was what fish sounds like to people who don't like fish. Yeah. I get, and it's funny. So a big part of anatomy of a jam, and this is still something I think about when I'm writing a script is what fish sounds like to someone who loves fish. Yeah. Like that's a huge part of it is that I, that's another thing that I don't, I don't see a lot of people talking about uh, in terms of, I've again, read a ton of reviews, uh, you know, show reviews and a lot of, a lot of really great writers have written about fish. Um, but it almost seems like people are afraid to let their fanboy flag fly. You know what I mean? It's like mm-hmm, really, mm-hmm. you know, it's like if you, you know, it's like I am, I will unabashedly talk about how much I love a jam. Um, and it's like, you know, if, if this is one of the best things I've ever heard, I will tell you, you know what I mean? It's yeah. like that's how much I love it. And I'm not afraid to say that. Um, but a lot of, I know a lot of people, they, they kind of hold those cards a little bit close to their chest because they don't want to sound too, you know, too much, like too much of a fluffer, which I'm, Hey, I'm okay. I'm okay. I, I respect that. Uh, I, I have nothing to lose. I'm happy to, to, to be, to be that Homer. I really, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm so happy to, to kind of do that. Um, and cause I know, I know we all feel it and we, we may disagree on, you know, what, anytime I, I post a video on, on a jam, 
someone's going to be like, oh, this jam is overrated, which I totally, you know, I, I can completely see their point of view. There are many, many jams out there when someone's like, oh, this is great. And I may think it's overrated, but right. it's, it's, you know, one person's overrated jam is another person's life changer, you know? So totally. it's, it's, it's really, it's so subjective. One person's overrated jam is another person's ruby waves. Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> that's a, <laughs> or whatever. That's a hundred percent right. Uh, well, um, I'm glad that you have no problem with doing your videos and using your voice in that way. It's one of the things, honestly, that has always been so. I I think the first time that I saw your first video that you did on Twitter that are so cool. I I just have to say that I'm going to fanboy out a little bit. <laughs> um, I love the way that you have the focus on those, the framing of those videos of you playing the guitar is just so cool to me. It like helps me completely just zone in 100% to the notes that you're playing and what I'm hearing in a way that it wouldn't be if it was you full frame or something like that, you know, I I would be distracted for me personally, and I'm sure other people probably would be as well. But I remember seeing the first one on like a Saturday morning with my cup of coffee in the morning. And I was like, I got transported somewhere while I was watching that little video. And it was just so perfect it was like just the sound of it the view of it and of course the beautiful playing of it and everything but it was just i i love even not just for what you are doing with them and the breaking down of everything but just all of it is just so uh it hits me in all the right places so i'm happy that you're doing those thank you that's so that's so nice i really i really appreciate that feedback thank you man it's um and i i started posting little clips of me playing songs is, is kind of an exercise because the the thing about the whole anatomy of a jam thing is these are you know videos that take months and months of work and it's like i'll spend yeah. hours slaving over sometimes a three second transition that's got a keyframe just right and it's like again to this obsessive kind of like it's got to be perfect and it's like it's such a harrowing it, it and from beginning to end, it's just this horrible experience of like highs and lows. Like, this is great. Mm-hmm. This is, tri-, you know, it's like, and I, I started almost being afraid. I don't say like afraid to share stuff because like it has to be perfect. You know what I mean? It's like not perfect for like other people, perfect for me. Like it's, I've got to think it's perfect. So yeah. I started posting little videos of me playing guitar as kind of a way to get over that. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? It's like, so I can, and what I do is I'll, I'll shoot usually about three takes and I'll choose the least shitty one <laughs> you know i'll choose and i'm I'm never never once have i ever been happy like oh this is great i can't wait yeah to-. it's never been like it's been like this this is the best i got at, you know at, at at 9 a.m on a saturday morning before right. i have to go change some diapers you know so um so i i i do appreciate that feedback and all of those tunes so the little fun fact is i don't ever learn a tune to play and record these are all tunes i already kind of know and i started making little uh we, we call them chord melody when you play the you know, when you kind of play the whole song so that you hear the the vocal melody and the, the chords and everything call it kind of all at once i, I do that to for my daughter i, I play mm. uh, i play all that kind of stuff for her when she's you know running around I'll, I'll play a happy song when she's sleeping i'll play all that kind of stuff so for the last like year i've, I've been doing that and i remember the first time i played one for one of the first times i played one for her 
I played her Velvet Sea. Um, and she, I have a video, I'll, I'll post it one of these days and she, and she falls asleep and that was oh, the first gosh. time I ever played her to sleep. And it's the most, it's probably my favorite video on the entire I'm planet. sure. You know, it's like, it's so, it's so special to me. And I really, you know, when she grows up, I want her to definitely be herself, but you know, but I want her to have at least a healthy respect for music. You know what I mean? Yeah, like I know a lot yeah. of musicians, children don't, you know, maybe aren't musicians and that's fine. You know, she absolutely doesn't have to be, but I want her to always kind of have that at least that appreciation if if not at least from from an emotional standpoint like oh these are the songs my dad played for me when i was a kid yeah so that's kind of where all that you know all those little twitter videos started was just me one getting over my you know just just is the best i got in the in the eight minutes i i recorded and you know it goes out um and then at the same time it's the little songs that i i played for my my little girl from like and this is one of the things i do a lot of times is I jump forward on my kids' lives and think about them being maybe not my age now, but in their 20s and their 30s, and think about what I would have wanted to see, not only of my childhood and my life, but of my parents as well. And so I would say, if you make that leap forward and thought of your daughter, like you guys are on a solid track now, and I can I would be shocked if she has no interest or even just small amounts of interest in seeing those kind of things and even seeing those you know that video of her falling asleep to you playing that will be I'm sure just as special to her at some point as it is to you now so maybe not when she's 8 or 9 <laughs> right. but when she's you know in her adult years like those are you know, think about what you would want to see of you and your dad. Like those are golden things. So I never thought about that. Yeah, you're absolutely right, Tim. I a hundred percent never, none of that even crossed my mind, but I think you're, you're absolutely right. I think that's a, that'll definitely be special to her as she, as she gets older. Those are moments we ain't ever getting back. Yeah. So even though I said at the beginning, don't take any advice or that I don't give any advice. I'm not advising you, but um, I, I think it's great for you to do that. I'm, I'm totally open to, to, <laughs> to hearing. I, I, I just don't, I don't like getting parenting advice from people who, who don't have kids. That, that, yeah. that never oh, that's me the, the wrong way. Yeah. Other than that, I'm, I'm, I'm completely open. Yeah. Um, well, thank you so much, Amar. This has been awesome. I'm so glad that, we were able to take the time tonight and thank you for, I know you're on the East coast. So for taking some time late at night and make sure you thank your wife for me as well. Will do Tim. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been an honor. This is really fun. Before we close out, where can people find you? Where should they look for uh, all of your different videos and everything, even potentially for anything of you doing shows out there on the east coast sure yeah i um so i've got a website amarguitar.com a-m-a-r guitar.com uh where i post anytime i post a video I'll, I'll kind of post on that too you can also search amar guitar on youtube and you'll get to my channel i'm at brahmin noodles on twitter and instagram and for anyone who doesn't know brahmin is, is a cast of hinduism so it's like mm. it's play on words of ramen noodles um, nice so brahmin noodles was my my nickname um <laughs> for a very long time for for i think at least in, in maybe not in high school maybe in college uh so i'm on brahmin noodles on social media um and i don't 
I don't post too many of my shows online because I do a lot with certain groups. I'll share it on social media, but a lot of the, the groups I, I, I play in are very, um, very bar bandy in the sense that um, I don't want someone to have to drive a couple hours to see me play Jesse's girl, you know? So <laughs> I, I don't, I don't ever, not, not cause I'm not proud of it just because uh, especially when I'm making, I have a couple bands where I play original music um, and I make arrangements and, when I do that kind of stuff, that's the kind of stuff I really like to, to yeah. share and say, Hey, come see me do this. Um, but like the other stuff, Hey, it's, it's me punching, you know, punching in the clock at, at right. work, you know? So it's like, you're there, you're there. Cool. All right. Well, again, um, everybody make sure you check out Amar and all those places as well as, uh, look for him on the Osiris podcast about splice coming out hopefully soon and as well as on the video of the video version of the drop. So thanks, Amar. Thank you, Tim. Have a great one. Yeah, you too. Okay, and that is the end of my entire conversation. Here was just the second half, but that ends the entire conversation with myself and Amar Sastri. Again, thank you for coming back for the second half. Thank you to Amar for all of his time with me and doing that so late at night with his family at home and all of that. I always appreciate that so much of my guests. So just wanted to make sure I said that here as well. Again, you should check Amar out on all those places. Brahmin, by the way, is spelled B-R-A-H-M-I-N. Look it up that way. And... When you're done doing that, if you're not connected with me on social media, super easy to do. On Twitter, on Facebook, on Instagram, it's Daddy Unscripted. My email address, daddyunscripted at gmail.com. As I'm going to add in the end of all of my episodes now, I will remind you, if you feel alone, if you think you need help in this world, if you or someone you know is struggling and you feel like they need help or you need help, I will remind you, first of all, you are absolutely not alone. You are not less for asking for help. It doesn't mean you're weak or anything like that. So the suicide prevention hotline is 800-273-8255. And I have a Google voicemail number and we can figure out a way to talk Or you can just say, I just need to vent. Don't respond to this. I'm just leaving this here in a safe space. And that number is 872-444-6784. If you deal with these thoughts on a regular or even semi-regular basis, put one of these numbers or both of these numbers in your phone. Make the contact name something that you aren't afraid somebody will stumble onto that's like secret code for you and use them when you need to. Please, all of you are important. All of you are significant and all of you are loved and your place is here for a reason. Sorry to make it heavy. I'm just trying this out because of my recent suicide episode And I'm going to figure out the best way to put this into every episode. But for now, it's right here. And as I greeted you in this second half episode in Ukrainian, I will now 
bid you a special dopobachenya, which is how you say goodbye in Ukrainian, but that doesn't seem like enough, so I will also say zinovim rokum, which is a formal New Year's greeting in Ukrainian. So Happy New Year, everybody. I hope that 2020, as amazing as it seems like it should be, I mean, it's 2020, like this is craziness. So I hope this episode helped get you on a solid track for 2020. And make sure you keep your eye out for my next episode, which should be out in two, maybe three weeks, but probably closer to two. Thanks, you guys. 